Santon and beyond. Get ready for the Santon Times Hour with your host, Alexander. That's it. It's the Santon Times Hour on Mix 93.8 FM and is always available as a podcast on Apple, Google and Spotify right after the show. It's a pleasure to be with you. I'm Alexander Leipner. This is edition 75, week 29. And I see somehow that we missed a week in our numbering. So please don't have a flat panic. I know it was a different week last week than it is this week. And we, we jumped a number, but we had to because we had to fix that. So it is week 29. It is still July 2022. And you can still contact us on editorsantantimes.co.za with all your news and views and you can also connect with us on social media at Santon Times and visit the website www.santontimes.co.za please feel free to send us your questions your feedback or comments it's always good to hear from you and to hear what's going on what's on your mind and uh, yeah just keeping us in the loop man keeping us in the loop a special welcome to those tuning in via DSTV or streaming or if you're listening to this delayed on a podcast I'm happy to report that all is well in Santon land. And is it just me? Or has load shedding and ESCOM gotten so bad that I haven't re- experienced static once <laughs> this entire winter? I mean, usually you walk around the house and you touch any metal object or you touch the door handle and you get zapped. And this year, I don't know, it just feels like there's been nothing. Vincenzo? Vincenzo, our man, in the production booth, monitoring the mixing desk. Did you, did you get zapped? No. Okay. He didn't get zapped. Did you have a good week? Oh, hold on. Uh, Hai passato una buona settimana. Ah, okay, great. You had a good week. Fantastic, Vincenzo. Good to have you on uh, on uh, the show today. I'm not going to say too much, but I just want to quickly say congratulations to all our winners on the Santon Times website who've walked away with some divine libations and gadgets. And there could be more to come. Just saying. Another week of great interviews lined up, so let's get straight into it. Coming up on this week's episode, with load shedding top of mind, I'll be chatting to an investigative journalist and author who's been tracking the developments at ESCOM. Don't miss this insightful interview, let me tell you. Then I'll be sharing some of my dining notes with you during the hour. And uh, Design Quarter in Four Ways will be getting a nip and a tuck. Uh, Stay tuned to hear about all the latest developments there. And finally, Irish Whiskey is seeing a major upswing. And I'll be looking at all of this and more coming up in the next hour. Your headlines for the week are up next. Vincenzo, get your fingers ready because it's time for a bit of music to ease us into the hour. You're listening to the Santon Times Hour. This is the Santon Times Hour on Mix 93.8 FM, and that was Sigala with Melody. Always the best sounds taking you into the headlines for this week. So, there was a local wine expo at the Santon Convention Center. Proudly South Africa hosted an inaugural Proudly Local Wine show over three days. And that's all I actually know. Did anyone attend? Vincenzo, did you go? Did you know about this? I don't know about this. And that's the thing. No, I, I don't know who went. I didn't know about it. I didn't get any information around it. And this is a quick reminder. If you're doing anything in Santon, an event, an expo, a conference, a party, whatever it is, make sure you keep us in the loop. Let us know. We can share the info. We can get people to come to this thing. Keep everyone informed. You know, there's no point in being the best kept secret in Santon. 
Contact the Santon Times, email us, editor at and let us know about this event or whatever you're doing. If it's a rooftop party or a roof wetting or you're opening a new restaurant or business or there's a, something interesting happening, just make sure you let us know. So anyway, uh, there was this, uh, this wine uh, show and... Because people have got to know. Yeah, anyway, that's uh, that. Then uh, more scam artists in Santon are behind bars. So you might remember last week... We told you the story about a cybercrime kingpin who was living his best life in Santon. And he was arrested by Interpol, having allegedly taken close to 200 million rand in a series of cyber scams. So this week, two more who lived a lavish lifestyle. A lavish lifestyle, let me tell you. Uh, they were renting a waterfall estate property for 55,000 rent per month, and they had a Bentley. And they've been sentenced to eight years and seven years behind bars after they cloned a law firm's email accounts and stole over 11 million rand from clients, according to IOL. They managed to intercept emails between real estate agents and conveyances and managed to convince the paying party that the bank account details were different, et cetera, et cetera. And you can kind of put, you know, connect the dots. And yeah, they, they siphoned off quite a bit of money. Anyway, so they've been convicted. They're going uh, to jail. Uh, one of the sentenced actually ran a well-known nightlife spot in Santon. But uh, both of them pleaded guilty to 24 charges of theft and fraud. So another scam story out of Santon. Then more countries are opening up to travelers as COVID-19 protocols are disappearing. So Thailand and Mauritius are two uh, of the countries that have dropped various COVID-19 protocols for travelers from South Africa, very popular destinations for South Africa. So it says that Thailand has removed all travel restrictions to the kingdom. This is as of the 1st of July, including the Thailand pass and the 10,000 US dollar health insurance requirements to enter the country. Vaccinated travelers will only need to show proof of vaccination to enter. Unvaccinated travelers will still need uh, proof of a negative PCR or professionally administered rapid test taken within 72 hours of arrival. Another popular destination for South Africans, Mauritius, has also dropped its regulations. There are instances where you will need to wear a mask at the airport or any port, for that matter. Uh, then also on public transport and in hospitals. But otherwise, things have relaxed substantially. But it's always a good idea to check the latest travel updates when planning a trip, uh, as these details do tend to change. But I think that's some good news. Those are your headlines for this week. Uh, next up, I chat to award-winning journalist at News 24's in-depth investigative team. And he's also an author, Kyle Cowan, about his book, Sabotage. Escom under siege. Stay right where you are. Online, on air, anywhere, anytime. This is the Santon Times Hour. Connect with the Santon Times. Email editor at santontimes.co.za. Well, load shedding remains a debilitator today, and uh, it also remains a debilitator, I think, going forward for all our activities, economic growth, and obviously subsequently job creation in South Africa. And uh, to give us some more insights into the troubles at ESCOM, I'm joined by uh, Kyle Cowan. He is an award-winning journalist who works at News24 and is also part of their in-depth investigative team. He's also the author of Sabotage, ESCOM Under Siege, and he takes us inside the assault on South Africa's power grid. And Carl, up front, let me start by saying that I haven't had a chance to explore your book in detail, 
But given the speed at which news travels, uh, I think the problems at ESCOM are well known for all of us, or, or are they? I think the obvious problems are well known. I think that, you know, obviously we've got load shedding, so everyone has heard about the fact that our power stations are struggling to keep up with demand and that ESCOM is, there's been a lot of corruption and there's been a lot of investigations and there's, you know, there's all these problems. I think we, I think we as a country are well aware of that every time our lights go out, you know, we sort of say, oh, you know, and we swear at ESCOM. And, but then, you know, we've, we've heard sort of some of the explanations about what's actually going on, but there's, there's a deeper level to it, you know, as, as with any, as with any story, you know, there's there's always three sides to a story. There's my side, there's your side, and then there's the truth, right? And I've always found that as a journalist, the truth is also multi-layered. There's, there's always going to be different varying levels of truth. And uh, what's been happening at ESCOM over the past, you know, two to three years is the epitome of that. It's There's there's a different level to this. There's There are these private problems, these problems that have been going on behind closed doors. That's what the book is really about. It's trying to paint a picture of what's been happening inside ESCOM. In addition to all the problems that we know about, other massive issues that have kept the leadership of ESCOM pretty well occupied. Well, you're talking about the leadership, and this book is based on some exclusive interviews that you had with uh, ESCOM CEO Andre Dureta and his senior key figures at ESCOM. Uh, what was your impression uh, of the management team taking on a job that most of us would probably run away from? Yeah, I think they're extremely brave. And and also, you know, particularly with, with uh, Mr. Jan Uber, also Professor Machoba, the board chair, and Mr. Andre Director, the CEO, those are the three very important people I interviewed. There are a lot of people I spoke to who obviously I can't name, you know, because they, they'd they get fired if people figured out that they were talking to journalists. But, you know, the overarching impression that I got is that the sort of top three including Caleb Kassam, the chief financial officer, as well as the, the then acting head of generation or the then head of generation, uh, Philip Dukashe, and now the acting head of generation is a guy called Rulani Matabula, and the, the head of the transmission side of the business, which is Sechemoko Skeper. These individuals are all highly capable. They, they all know what they're doing. They know what they're about. They're not guys who have walked in with no experience in running a company or no experience at ESCOM. I mean, Jan also, for example, I think he's coming up on close to 30 years having worked for ESCOM over the past two, you know, uh, since the 1980s. So it's, 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 it's a team of people who, who I think have the knowledge to do what is necessary. The problem that they keep coming up against is, is that people don't want them to do the right thing. And government effectively, I don't think wants ESCOM to succeed because the policies are just so so outdated and so you know unnecessarily bureaucratic. There's so much red tape around some of the stuff that government I, I think is actively trying to block certain things in a way. But now with this latest round of load shedding, I think you know, they're starting to see the light. And sorry for the pun. Well, there's going to be a lot of those, but 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 basically, from what I can gather from what you're saying, and also just you know, excerpts from the book, there's an evident group of people which can only be defined as the enemies of the future of South Africa, whose own mortal interests seem to outweigh those of an entire nation. Have I, have I got that right? That that's actually a very good way of putting it. I wish I had thought about it like that when I was writing the book, because it could have could have made a, a very nice line in the book. No, no, you're exactly right, Alex. You know. I, the, the, the funny thing about ESCOM is, is that no one can claim that they were unaware that there were problems at the power utility, right? And, and I'm talking about 
a succession of presidents, a succession of government ministers, we as the general public, um, a succession of CEOs. You know, there's one former CEO who claims that he fixed the power power stations overnight by magic. I, you know, I, I still don't understand how the power stations performed so well during his time. But anyway, and, and it's one of those things where, and I've been saying this quite a lot, you know, in talking about the book recently, I get the feeling that the sabotage at ESCOM is not just about power stations being sabotaged or a pylon at Latabo being pushed over and cutting off power supply to a conveyor belt. There's also a level of sabotage by the ANC government. In 1998, ESCOM tells government, we need to build new power stations or we're going to run out of enough electricity by the mid 2000s. It's Bob, exactly that happens. By 2007, 2008, there's load shedding. And Tabo Mbeki, the then president, is, is apologizing to the country saying, oh, you know, we should have listened to ESCOM. We didn't and we should have. And then load shedding starts and it's sort of been a downward spiral from then. Because once you get to a point where your electricity system is short of capacity to the extent that it was already in 2007, 2008, you, you're on an extremely slippery slope because you have to spend an enormous amount of money to maintain these power stations. And if you don't do that, and if you don't bring new capacity on board within the right time frames, you're never going to be able to recover because you're pushing your older power stations too hard. They keep breaking. You don't have enough money. You're spending too much money building new power stations and the whole system falls out of sync. And this is exactly what happened. They started building Madupi and Kusile way too late. Those projects are, you know, they took too long and they cost too much money. So now the older power stations, you know, money was sacrificed from maintaining older power stations to pay for the new ones or to pay for the debt for the new ones. And the new ones aren't really operating the way they're supposed to. So it's like this sort of, it's a perfect storm, really. It's just a mess. It's just, and to solve it, you effectively need to take half the country's power stations offline completely for two years and fix them from the ground up. And we can't do that because we need those power stations to run. Otherwise we'd be sitting without power as a country collectively for hours a day. I mean, you've called the book sabotage, which I think is quite a strong word and is not very often used in South Africa in general. We tend to tap dance around strong words like treason and sabotage and economic sabotage. We use much sort of softer words. And these are, you know, serious, serious crimes. Surely there should be a sense of urgency and a maximum penalty for this kind of thing. I mean, we can also throw what's going on in the the railway system and all of that into that mix as well. But I mean, I know that's not what your book is about. No, look, it, it's it's difficult to be optimistic about South Africa's future when you take when you take a collective view of our state institutions. So, if you look at the rail infrastructure, if you look at water infrastructure, if you look at our, our you know basic health infrastructure, school infrastructure, it's all sort of gone backwards and. ESCOM, I think, is the most profound example of that because it affects every single one of us for at least two hours a day at the moment, right? So it's it's one of those things where I, I, I struggle to find a reason to be optimistic about our country's future. And it's it's really depressing. And it's sort of like really, you know, it really brings me down. And some nights I lie in bed and I wonder, you know, is, is there ever going to be a way for us to fix this? And, you know, you can't really see it when you start to really dig into what has happened at ESCOM. And the reason why the book is called Sabotage is, is for those two reasons. People went and cut eight steel supports on a 25 meter tall pylon that supplies electricity to a conveyor belt that carries coal. 
at ESCOM's best performing power station at Latavo, right? They push that, it goes, it falls uphill onto the backup power supply line, meaning we had already had, I think, stage two load shedding that day. If that power station ran out of coal during peak between six and 10 that night, it would have been stage six load shedding. Boom. One power station, stage six load shedding. And that just tells you how fragile the system has become. Right now, we're sitting in this situation with this unbelievably irritating amount of load shedding that's going on right now. And it's because we have 15,000 megawatts, between 15 and 18,000 megawatts of our, of our power stations offline. There's another three or 4,000 megawatt that's out for planned maintenance, which is far lower than it should be. But because it's winter, they have to keep it lower. That's just under half of the country's electricity generation capacity that is offline, unavailable, can't be used. Then you like you start to question, but guys, what happened? In 2001, ESCOM was voted the best power utility in the world. In just 20 years, it's become basically a, like you couldn't give a company money to take over some of these power stations. That's, that's how bad the condition of these things are. So what happened? And my argument is our government has systemically sabotaged ESCOM by not investing enough money, by not investing in smart policy, by not doing the right thing. And now we are all reaping the negative effects of that. Carl Cowan, award-winning journalist at News24 and author of Sabotage, ESCOM Under Siege, available to all good bookstores and online. Thank you for joining us on the Santon Times Hour. Thank you so much for having me. Well, what a first uh, 30 minutes it has been, and there's more to come, so stay tuned. I'll be right back after this. The Santon Times Hour continues. I'm Alexander Leipner. If you've just tuned in and taking us into the second half of the Santon Times Hour is Nora in Pure with Come With Me. Right here on Mix 93.8 FM. Get in touch with the Santon Times Hour. You can use the hashtag, hashtag Santon Times Hour. And as always, if there's anything that caught your attention during the show, but you didn't manage to grab the details, well, be sure to visit the show notes on www.santontimes.ca.today for a detailed breakdown of everything discussed. Also, be sure to check out the social media accounts at Santon Times and feel free to comment and connect. It's always great to hear from you. So, I promised you some dining notes, which is always great, and um, two really nice spots for you to check out next time you're down in Cape Town. So, you know, Santon Times is not just about greater Santon. People do eventually go somewhere. If you live in Santon, you don't just sort of live in uh, this lavish part of Gauteng. You do get onto a plane or you get onto a bus or a car and you take a trip somewhere. So these two restaurants are down in Cape Town. And why they're worth mentioning as well is that they're such great destination restaurants. So the ones I'm talking about are part of the La Colombe group. And to set the scene, La Colombe, which is I think sort of the genesis of all of this, Beautiful restaurant down in the Western Cape. Well, they've snapped up another placement in this year's World's 50 Best Restaurant list. Now, that already sets the tone. La Colombe, what an experience. I mean, let me just ease you into this if you've never dined at any of the La Colombe restaurants. But it honestly is, it's drama, it's theater, it's just spectacular. It's not just a meal. And... If you go to the original La Colombe, you will know that it is just the most incredible experience that you go through. And people book months in advance. I mean, people come from all over the world to eat at La Colombe. And if you ever have anything special 
that you're looking to celebrate, or even if you're just really into your food and you want to do something very different, go check out La Colombe. Well, the great story is now is that um, La Colombe has opened two new restaurants at the iconic V&A waterfront. So I headed down to Cape Town to visit these two new uh, restaurants to do a story on them. And they are Pier Restaurant and the Waterside Restaurant. And the wonderful thing is that both of them are in the Pierhead building at the V&A waterfront. So it's the same building. The one is on the ground floor and the other one's on the first floor, the top floor. So Pier's at the top and the Waterside is on the ground floor. Uh, Pier offers a 12-course menu. And uh, they've got different ones. There's also vegetarian ones. I know they're also running a winter special at the moment. So they've got a special menu for that. And they also change seasonally, which is really great. And then the water side is a four-course menu. Think of it as a theater ticket with a performance that happens to also serve food. Because a lot of people will look at, you know, the price tag and say, well, you know, I'll never pay that for lunch. I'll never pay that for dinner. And you can't just see it as I'm having a meal. I'm nourishing myself. I need to get X amount of protein and carbs into my system to get through the next 24 hours. No, it's not like that. It really is a theater performance. And I'm going to start off with Pierre uh, because that was the first spot we uh, visited. And I wasn't feeling great that day. I must be honest when I got there. And it was one of those uh, wintry Cape Town days where, you know, the wind is blowing it's raining, it's not lacquer, but it's an experience you don't want to miss. So you kind of ruffle yourself together, you get along and you go. And Pierre is a 12th course lunch or dinner. The waiter was Wanda and Wanda, let me tell you, lives up to his name. Unbelievable. You know when a waiter is dedicated to service, to performance. And I loved what he said uh, when, when he sat us down and he, and he took us through uh, the menu and then he subsequently removed the menu and said, listen, uh, are you open to sort of any ideas? Uh, are you open to whatever the kitchen serves. And I said, yeah, let's do it. Because that's what we were there for. We wanted a bit of the, the current menu, a bit of the winter menu. So he said, great, we're just going to serve you whatever comes along over the next 12 courses. Don't worry about the menu. So Wanda took us through the experience. And what I loved about what he said was, it wasn't about getting the clientele to tell you what it is that they want. You are there as the waiter, as the person providing the service, to actually anticipate, understand, and deliver an experience to the person coming for lunch or dinner. And that's exactly what he did. It was absolutely spectacular. I mean, it really is quite something. And if I have a look at the uh, the, the story around Pier, and it's also up on the Santon Times website, I mean, it was really quite an experience from the word go. I mean, imagine beautifully presented dishes. There's dry ice smoke in some of the dishes. So as you open them up, I mean, it sort of just oozes like this fantastical smoke and, and everything's got a story. And there's also this very strong ocean theme going through everything. So everything's got shells. There's obviously a bit of uh, seafood also involved in some of the dishes, but everything beautifully presented and the detail that uh, the team at Pierre go into to make sure you've got a really sensational experience is really uh, noteworthy. And I suppose it's probably as close as we'll get in terms of South Africa, in terms of Michelin star grade. Uh, I mean, I can't imagine there being anything better apart from having to get, I don't know, better crockery and cutlery, which they've already like mastered and the service is amazing. And I mean, you're going to really have to work hard to, to try and compete. Or to give you an idea, there was crayfish, there were there were beautiful karoo lamb. And then, and then also these, these moments where some of the uh, meals are finished off 
at the table. So you might have a plate full of vegetables and the um, the chef will come to the table with a hibachi grill and he'll finish off the karoo lamb at the table. What an experience. Or the cheese board where they'll come with the whole cheese trolley and they'll show you the different cheeses. They'll talk you through it. All South African cheeses, cheeses I hadn't heard of, cheese makers I hadn't heard of, and they cut the pieces according to kind of what you like, and they uh, then serve it to you with a fantastic uh, selection of breads and fruits and spreads. Really wonderful. And then also just the amount of effort that goes into the presentations, uh, the the serving plates, and then also the actual items themselves. I mean, if I think about the the bonbons that we had at the end of the meal, right at the end, where you think, yeah, well, I can't have another another bite to eat right now. Just beautiful. It just really looks sensational and the same goes for the water side. Now, the water side is on the ground level, very different target market. So they only do like a four-course or six-course menu. So it's someone who might just want to do a quick business lunch or you're just popping in. And, and quite honestly, it might also be a really great opportunity to kind of get a taste of what La Colombe and its restaurants has to offer in a great in the greater scheme of things. So if you're not ready to commit to 12 courses, you know, you might say, mm, you know, it's maybe a little bit steep for me or I'm not quite sure if I'm going to enjoy this try the water side. Pop in, do four courses, do six courses, see what it's like. And if you really enjoy it, well, then you're going to really go down a rabbit hole because then you're going to be popping into all the different La Colombe restaurants and experiencing the different menus, what the chefs are presenting, the different theatrics, the different drama. I mean, it really is quite spectacular. And I'm also just having a quick look at uh, what, what we had at the water side. And there as well, I mean, it just starts with a fantastic uh, presentation. It all starts with the presentation. And, and while we're at it, let me quickly mention that they do the most incredible non-alcoholic cocktails. I mean, you never think that non-alcoholic cocktails could be that amazing. But it's not just sort of mixing together a variety of fruit juices and hoping for the best. Like, they really treat it as their alcoholic counterparts in terms of mixing and frothing and pouring and burning sugar and all kinds of amazing things. It almost tastes better than some alcoholic cocktails I've had. So they do the most amazing non-alcoholic cocktails if you're into that. Once again, just beautiful dishes, uh, you know, from start to finish. But uh, once again, the waterside, possibly a shorter experience and something for you to really just get a taste of what La Colombe as a group can offer. Then you've got Pier, which is great because it's right there at the waterfront if you're not looking to travel far in Cape Town. But then if you do want to go to Constantia or Franchuk and see some of the other La Colombe properties, well, then you're really in for a treat. You won't regret it. It's really a fantastic experience. We certainly had a great a great lunch there. And uh, I'm sure you will too if you choose lunch or dinner. I believe the dinner is even more exciting because then there's a bit of light theatrics that come into it as well. So, so much time and effort goes into serving you the best possible quality content on the Santon Time. So do take a look at the peer review uh, with uh, all the photos. It's up on the website. And also the water site uh, will be popping up this coming Friday. Hashtag Foodie Friday. Also with photos. You're listening to the Santon Times Hour. So the Design Quarter launched in 2005, and uh, as we all know, it's situated right there on William Nickel Drive, not too far from Monte Cassino. And in 2022, it is undergoing an upgrade to reposition itself as a niche lifestyle center focusing on home, dining, leisure, and uh, convenience. Joining me to explore this uh, a bit more is Daryl 
Mayers. He's the Joint Chief Executive Officer of Investec Property Fund. And Daryl, correct me if I'm wrong, but I was always under the impression that the Design Quarter was a niche lifestyle centre focusing on home, dining, leisure and convenience. Look, I think a lot has changed since 2005. Design Quarter, it did, it did have a kind of dominant position in the design space, design and decor space some years ago. I think it had lost its way. And the, but we always saw the potential in the site. So the location was excellent. And what we saw is really the, the core retailers wanted to remain, but they, you know, I think they'd seen their trading dip and the, and the mall just needed a lot of work. I think it was more around structure uh, that was complicating their ability to trade well. So I think coming from a retail development background, you know, you've got to understand what's, uh, what, what makes consumers or customers frequent a mall and, and, and then remain loyal to that mall. So it's not a simple process. And I think what we've done is really carefully thought through where the weak spots in the mall were, with Woolworths having moved out into the um, four-ways, you know, that opened up in four-ways mall. It, it left a 2,800-square-meter box, which we saw opportunity then in introducing restaurants, really, you know, to create a, a, a north-facing faces onto the William Nickel four restaurants with Trek bicycles anchoring that wing, which kind of complements then the golfers opposite so you've got kind of two great sporting operators at high end. And then by introducing a checkers into the mix, but, you know, closer to where the decor section is, what you really now have, have complemented is, you know, you've got this kind of furniture decor and homewares, um, which functions inside the mall. You've got a daily shopping with the checkers, which is for groceries. That will be checkers and vets pantry, as well as uh, a pharmacy coming in there. Uh, the pharmacy is not checkers, by the way. It's um, it'll, it'll be it'll be named soon as soon as we have that kind of uh, the board confirmation from them. But it's a well-known national brand. And so what you have is a fully lit mall that caters for every need. You know, you've got the leisure, you've got restaurants, you've got decor, and you've got daily shopping. So and with much better access. And I think that's that the real differentiator for us is really where we saw the opportunity of making it easier for customers to frequent the the mall. It's certainly a vote of confidence into the future of the uh, retail markets or physical stores, but also a vote of confidence in uh, what at the moment seems like a very strained consumer base with the petrol price going up, uh, people having to pay more for mortgages. You clearly see that there's a light at the end of the tunnel after all of this. Yeah, I've been in the property industry and commercial property really since 1995. I've lived through the rates of uh, when interest rates were close to 23%. So, you know, this is a cycle. It's going to be tough, but we've come through two years of COVID and I think there are some green, like, there's some green shoots. I think people need to get out. And I think the rest, so you've seen the kind of the, the bounce back came in the restaurant industry and that's, that is a catalyst for the kind of activity in a mall. You know, if people are attracted and they dwell there and they spend hours there, it just gives that kind of, it, it creates a bit of a vibe at the mall. And that's what you really need is a bit, of, a, a bit of energy. We've also seen a real trend towards open retail as opposed to, you know, the big uh, enclosed malls, you know, either from a health perspective or just the pure convenience of not, not having to navigate basement parkings and, uh, you know, multi-level, uh, multi-level centers. The restauranteurs that have come, they are, we've got two brands that have been with us from inception that are remaining. Uh, so they've obviously got a customer base and we've got a number of uh, restaurants, you know, looking at accommodating. We've got one more space available. And like I said, I think the homewares actually did enjoy quite a robust performance over COVID. And that looks set to continue because I think people are focusing a lot on 
their their home environments. But you know, I, I would say one has to be cautious. This is uh, you know you, you can't be completely bullish and, um, and and ignorant to the fact that we're in a, a very uh, tenuous time in the world and in South Africa. I think the most important thing is we mustn't be too negative and think this is a South African phenomenon. The only South African phenomenon right now is the load shedding, but it's not. The world is in a bit of a tough time at the moment with high interest rates, uh, inflation. But again, let me say this, that South Africans are used to living with double-digit inflation. We've done it before, and we're used to living with uh, interest rates that are closer to 10% than most other countries. So if you get your target market right, and, if, and we believe that the target market for this mall is a very robust, uh, it's a resilient market, you know, often uh, two-income, double-income families, um, it's in a growth area where if you look at the, the urban, kind of the residential sprawl all the way through to almost, I'm thinking, northern farms now, you know, it goes out to Stain City. So you've got a wonderful, strong, robust catchment area. It bodes well for the long-term growth. And that's what we get, you know, we're in for the long-term here. Absolutely. And I mean, you've touched on it now in terms of load shedding. And I think it's maybe a, an important topic to touch on as a, as a property owner. I mean, you've just come out of two years of, of COVID pandemic restrictions where I'm sure your tenants have also said to you, look, we, we can't pay the kind of rents you've asked us for. We have to come up with some sort of plan. Now you're going straight into a situation where you're having to feed a diesel generator probably on a daily or weekly basis. I mean, that must really yeah. put quite a bit of strain on your operating costs. It's a, it's a very frustrating environment. You know, you think about it that you, certainly you're not getting the services that you pay for. It does put a, a massive pressure on, on landlords' income because the, the op costs are, are, are escalating at a significantly higher rate than you're able to extract on rentals. Um, but we have to box smart, and we will. You know, I think as we start introducing alternative sources of energy, I mean, the malls aren't such a – they're not as simple as one thinks because you need roof space for solar – but we have to start thinking much more cleverly around how we share share the load with uh, the tenants. I mean, our object, I would say, argue that rentals in the SA market have been under massive pressure, net rentals, because gross rentals are escalating because of the operating costs, you know, not because of the improved rentals that you're getting. Um, so there is that kind of pressure. But again, I think we're in a bit of a, a negative cycle, um, negative sentiment. Uh, things will hopefully settle. I think, you know, we've got to just, you know, you've, you've got to be bullish. You've got to be kind of optimistic. Otherwise, you you know, you must sell up and get out of here. You know, and, and, and we're we're a South African fund. Um, we have international exposure, um, but we've got a 15 billion rand portfolio in South Africa and we understand it and we, and, and we benchmark ourselves to perform better than anyone in the market. So you've got to have great assets that can get, deliver you total return. And you've just got to carefully navigate that. If they, if they start falling off piste, you've got to find a way of either re, reigniting them or you've got to dispose of them if you have no ideas for them. And that's kind of our philosophy in the business. Well, Daryl Mayers, he's the Joint Chief Executive Officer of Investec Property Fund, talking about the repositioning and redesign of Design Quarter. And uh, I thank you for making the time to chat to us on the Saturn Times Hour. And we're going to be right back after a bit of a musical break. Thank you, Alex. I love your professionalism and thank you for having me on. You're listening to the Santon Times Hour. Taking us into the final minutes of the Santon Times Hour on Mix 93.8 FM, Elton John and Dua Lipa with uh, Cold Heart, the Panau remix. Not any other remix, the Panau remix. If you're an avid whiskey drinker as I am, you'll be interested to know that there's a black Irish whiskey on the market called Shanky's Whip. And uh, for this... 
and all things spirit, I'm happy to reconnect with Rowan Leibrandt, founding partner of Truman and Orange. And Rowan, let me start by telling this quick story before I, I welcome you onto this show. Uh, so I've known Rowan for quite some time, and I, and I always make comment of this, because Rowan rocked up at my office when I was still heading up an events business. Well, I had actually just started heading up an events business with a six-pack of innocent gun under his arm. I think it must have been about 2014-ish. And uh, yeah, he'd started off this this liquor business and uh, he was uh, getting this thing going. And here we are, what is it? I don't know, just under 10 years later uh, or eight years later, and you've built this beautiful boutique spirits business, Truman and Orange. So Rowan, congratulations, and I'm glad you're still going. <laughs> Thank you, Alex. Gosh, um, yeah, you reminded me that that was a long time ago. Um, that, <laughs> kind of pre-COVID, as they say. That's it, man. Yeah, that's just a big blur in a big gray area. <laughs> but listen, I mean, congratulations. I think it's unbelievable to have a young entrepreneur you. start something and still going. And, uh, you know, you're still around. You're bringing new releases to South Africa. And uh, let's touch on this briefly. How have you managed through what has certainly been one of the most challenging periods for anyone in the liquor business? Yeah, I mean, they say they say you know starting a business is one of the hardest things that that, that you can do. I mean, I think start trying to start a liquor business before COVID. Um, I mean, it's just kind of stupid in retrospect. Of course, we didn't know it at the time, but man, it's been a rocky road. I mean, I'd like to think if we could, as a booze business, survive through what was two of these sort of incredibly hard years. You know, basically being made illegal for for big chunks of it. I'd like to think we can survive whatever comes at us, but I, I don't think you should um, test South Africa in that way. Um, it's got the ability to kind of throw some weird and wonderful curveballs, doesn't it? Certainly, certainly. Well, Ro, we're going to move on to more joyous conversations. Uh, tell me a little bit more about Black Irish Whiskey, uh, which is what Shanky's True. Whip is made from. I mean, I've, I, as a whiskey drinker, I must be honest, I've never heard of Black Irish Whiskey. <laughs> so, well, I, I, should, I should say it's Black Irish Whiskey liqueur. Um, so the Irish will... Let, let, let me kind of start start from where the, where the idea began. Um, th- there's a traditional working man's drink in Ireland, which is um, which is a glass of Guinness into which you would drop uh, an Irish whiskey, and you can you can imagine what that tastes like. You get this um, sort of you get this pint of kind of sweet, spicy, creamy sort of stuff, and it's um, I mean there's a lot of booze in there, of course, so you probably can't drink too many of them, but you can imagine how kind of mouth watering that that, uh, that that drink must be. And Shanky's Whip is, a, is an Irish whiskey liqueur, which is meant to taste like that, like, like that drink. It's a, it's a wonderfully smooth, creamy, rich uh, liqueur. The, the, the way that they make it is um, they start with what is actually called Black Irish Whiskey, which is where the, the beginnings of the name come from. So that's Irish whiskey that's gone into an overcharred cask. So you get this real kind of blackening of the inside of, of the oak. And that's, that, of course, darkens the, the whiskey itself. They then add new new make Irish spirit to that, which is a sort of sweet, light, gentle, unaged spirit. And they then add natural vanilla and and caramel flavors to it. So that that sort of resulting concoction is what creates this sort of sweet, creamy, slightly kind of spicy, spicy drink. It's absolutely delicious. It's fascinating. And, uh, you know, I'm assuming that there's also a little bit of provenance behind uh, the name Shanky's Whip. Uh, why the name? Y- y- yeah, so I mean, well, the Irish are known for their stories, aren't they? And they're, they're always kind of slightly boozy stories, I've I've, I've noticed. To be um, sure, to be sure. This particular, yeah, exactly. You, I can imagine a lot of the stories kind of get told in the bars as well, don't they? So Shanky's Whip is a kind of an urban legend. Apparently, he was a kind of a, a really talented jockey, um, always winning things, and then um, had basically having uh, known for having a massive smash up at the end of it whenever he won, and he won a lot. And the story goes that uh, eventually he was banned from racing horses because he was 
you know, he was winning and he was creating a kind of big noise and dance, a lot of chaos at the end of each of these events. So he was banned from racing horses. And, and what this intrepid Irish fella did is he rocked up at the next event on an ostrich and proceeded to win, apparently. So this kind of urban legend of the, I guess, the kind of Irishman who wouldn't say no. And it's kind of become a bit of a joke, Shanky's whip. And this, this myth is kind of, it's used in other places. It, it's, it is actually on a famous set of uh, matchboxes. So it's actually, the, the label looks a lot like a vintage matchbox. And uh, yeah, I guess kind of had fun with this, with this urban legend of Shanky's whip. Well, I'm sure there's not many ostriches in Ireland, so I'm assuming this bottle has now returned to its sort of almost rightful heritage there, just outside of Oatsuan. Yeah. Well, I, um, think, I think, unbelievably, I think there was the briefest moments in Victorian in the Victorian world where um, ostrich racing, of course, which they did with a little chariot behind the ostrich, uh, was kind of a thing, you know, the, the Victorians were sort of into the, the weird and the obscure, and they often kind of collected these sort of slightly bizarre ideas i guess from the kind of edges of their empire yeah there was some kind of weird stuff going on but apparently racing ostriches for the very briefest of time was actually a kind of thing in victorian england and ireland all right well there's something to try out a little bit of interesting uh, tidbits there especially if you're going to a cocktail party or a dinner at least you can throw around some interesting stories much like the irish would do in a pub so roan lebrand founding partner of truman and orange uh, that's all we have time for this week but thank you so much for jumping onto a call and chatting to us on the santon times hour and that's it for another santon times hour on mix 93.8 fm and is always available as a podcast on apple google and spotify if you want to get in touch you can email editor at santontimes.ca.za or connect with us on social media at Santon Times, whatever social media you do use. And you can also visit the website, www.santontimes.co.za and feel free to send through your questions or comments or even sponsorship money. If uh, that's what you'd like to send, all of those are welcome. Uh, Thank you to all our guests for this week. Uh, My man behind the sound desk, Vincenzo. Buy a donkey or buy a donkey. And uh, thank you to the Santa Times team as well as everyone at Mix 93.8 FM. It's been uh, great working with you again for another week. And uh, thank you to you for listening. And let's connect again next week. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening to the Santa Times Hour. And if you enjoyed it, be sure to share it. 